0: I'm Daniel Levine and this is Rarecast. In October, Alnylam said it would halt development of a therapy for a rare eye disorder. To evaluate the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act, the decision is a reflection of the unintended consequences that policies can have on rare disease drug development. We spoke to Amanda Molokov, Executive Director of the Rare Disease Company Coalition, about the policy landscape for rare disease therapies unfinished business from the recent passage of a lean prescription drug user fee act and policy priorities for 2023.
1: Amanda, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me.
0: We're going to talk about the rare disease policy landscape, the efforts of the rare disease company coalition, and some specific concerns as we head into a new year and a new Congress. Perhaps we can start with the coalition itself, which was unveiled in 2021. Why was the coalition created? What unique needs was it seeking to address that other industry groups didn't?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great place to start, um, to provide some, of that, some context there about why the coalition got started. Um, rare disease drug development is faces unique circumstances, unique challenges, um, and its own set of opportunities. And it's really, you know, it's requiring of different considerations than kind of standard drug development. So, um, you know, prior to the coalition forming about a year and a half ago, there was no one group just advocating or speaking on behalf of Um, rare disease drug makers and really talking about those unique circumstances that those companies face. Um, And so the group actually started informally. Um, There were about 10 companies that were getting together and just talking about um, rare disease policies. And, you know, another part that makes rare disease unique is a lot of the companies in this space tend to be mid size or smaller with kind of less resources or um, maybe less of a voice individually. And they felt that if they were to come together and really provide one unified front and one voice to um, their perspective on policy issues, that it would be more impactful. So that's kind of how the coalition got started. And, and really what we aim to do is provide that one voice behind common issues that all companies face in the rare disease space.
0: I think it can be easy for people who live in this world to forget that policymakers may not be terribly well-versed in drug development, let alone drug development for rare diseases and the challenges that go with that. What's the case that rare disease drug development is fundamentally different from other types of drug development that it warrants different policy treatment from the rest of the industry?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question as well. And that's frankly, another key tenant of the coalition, besides just providing the one voice and uh, unifying different companies in this space, really what we're set out setting out to do is to educate policymakers um, on um, not just the rare disease space, but why drug development is different and can be more challenging because there really is a lack of um, awareness about some of those nuances out there. And it's really important for Um, policymakers to be able to consider when they work on kind of broader um, pharmaceutical or health policy, how there could be implications for rare diseases that they might not be aware of. Um, So in terms of why it's so different, um, I think it's important to really acknowledge up front that rare disease drug development by its nature incurs a lot more risk than standard drug development. Um, There's a few reasons behind that. Um, You know, there's a lack of history and knowledge about rare diseases, just because of their nature, right? How rare they are. Um, There could be some rare diseases that affect only a few hundred or a few thousand people in the country or the world. um, And those can be really hard to even diagnose. So for some rare diseases, for example, there might be, let's say a few hundred thousand people in the world with that rare disease, but only 1,000 that have actually been diagnosed. So it takes a really long time to study the disease, to find people that have the disease, recruit them for clinical trials, et cetera. Um, So it takes a lot longer to do the the research and development. Um, On average, it's over 10 years um, spent on the life cycle for one drug. Um, And a lot of that, again, is just the baseline research um, that's necessary. Um, And then, you know, advancing further along that process due to, you know, the the nature of these small populations. It's difficult to recruit um, patients for clinical trials. Um, There are health disparities, of course, involved where it might be um, difficult for um, patients to travel to participate in clinical trials. Um, About half of the patients impacted or diagnosed with rare diseases are children, so that also provides a challenge. and so as a result, companies spend really an outsized amount on rare disease research, more than um, standard industry who invests more than any other industry in rare disease. Um, I think the standard pharma benchmark for R&D investment is about 20% of their budget. Um, our member companies and the coalition spent over 50% of their budgets on average on R&D. So much riskier, um, you know, much more complex and much more costly. And then the last thing I'll say is, you know, it's um, less profitable. There's a less uh, strong economic case for doing a lot of this work. And so um, rare disease companies rely primarily on investment, private investment from capital markets to fund all this work that they're doing, um, which can be really challenging, especially in you know, certain economic times where there's uncertainty. People don't want to invest in high risk assets.
0: Well, this is a time of impressive innovation, but during the past year with the economic downturn, it's also been a difficult time for rare disease drug developers. In recent years, there's been large inflows of capital into the sector, but in the past year, we've seen investors grow cautious, stock prices plummet, and more than 40 rare disease drug companies announced layoffs and restructurings this year alone. How would you describe the state of the industry today?
1: Yeah, I think you summarized it really well. There's kind of a a duality facing rare disease biotech. Um, You know, on one hand, um, the medical innovation that has been advanced by rare disease companies has never been more impressive or more cutting edge, Um, especially if you look at, for example, um, what some companies are doing in the gene editing space. Um, There are rare disease companies that have found ways to permanently treat a rare disease by one time spinal tap that allows them to edit, you know, one aspect of a gene. Um, That's really amazing. Um, But, you know, due to some of the factors we discussed in your previous question, um, there are a lot of challenges in fully realizing that promise and that innovation. Um, You know, we were talking about it a little bit um, just a minute ago, we are in a time of economic uncertainty, and um, investors, you know, want to be able to um, want to be able to look to more certainty to dictate where they spend their funds, right? So, um, with every rare disease clinical trial, for the most part, being pretty unprecedented and um, approached really differently, there's less. Kind of key milestones that investors can look to in the rare disease space. Um, and really, you know, with economic uncertainty um, and regulatory uncertainty, it's making rare disease investment, rare disease um, drug development investment less attractive. So we are seeing real threats. We are seeing, you know, these headwinds really impacting the industry, and companies are having to make really difficult trade offs about. What to do to, to stay viable? Um, to your point, that you know some companies have had to look at layoffs, have had to prioritize what's in their pipeline, and, and no one wants to be in that situation, right? Our end goal is to, you know, discover these medical advancements, bring them through the clinical trial process, get approval and provide treatments to patients who really need them. And so no one wants to be in a situation where they're making trade-offs. But unfortunately, that is the situation we're finding ourselves in.
0: Uh, Given that current environment, what role do you see policy playing in the health of the industry?
1: Our concern is pretty similar to the concern we had around the orphan drug tax credit, which is, again, the unintended consequences. Um, So having these precedent setting, you know, large policies that allow, um, you know, the federal government to negotiate drug pricing has a ripple effect on the, the pharmaceutical industry, which has an impact on rare disease um, companies and their investors. And, you know, we did see consideration for, um, for an exemption for orphan drugs, but the exemption was um, still a little bit narrow. And again, these companies need more consideration, more incentives, um, not less. And so, you know, a concern we have is it's very common for rare disease treatments to be used in more than one indication or more than one disease state. Um, that's very, very common. I think the majority of um, of orphan drugs are used for multiple conditions. And so saying that, You can only be exempted from negotiation if your um, drug only treats one condition is not does not match the reality and the science of what companies are doing today. And so, again, we want to see um, these companies really be given the special consideration that they need. And we don't think that this exemption goes far enough.
0: Well, let's walk through some of the policy issues that the industry is facing right now, and, and, and get your read on those. Let's start with the Prescription Drug User Fee Act, which the seventh incarnation of PADUFA passed, but in a rather stripped down form, much of the riders we've come to expect were not included in the legislation, although there was the Rare Disease Endpoint Advancement Pilot Program, which was included. How meaningful is that program, and is there unfinished business from Padufa that the coalition is focused on during the, the lame duck session.
1: Yeah. So we are certainly supportive of the rare disease endpoint advancement program. Um, anything that promotes more collaboration between FDA and industry and the sponsors, um, going through the clinical trial process is, is really a positive thing. So we were really, um, glad to see that provision move forward. Um, but as you, as you said it, there is unfinished business, we believe, um, There are some um, provisions that were originally um, supposed to be included in user fee that we would like to see positive action on um, in Congress. Um, You know, we did have some concerns about some of the proposals to limit the use of accelerated approval um, that were originally included in user fees. Um, Accelerated approval really is an opportunity for rare disease drug development. It provides flexibility to the clinical trial process, which is sorely needed um, for rare diseases, because like I said, it's, you know, every clinical trial is a little bit different and is unprecedented um, in the rare disease space. And so um, it's really important for companies to be able to have the accelerated approval pathway as a tool that they can use to try to get um, treatments to, to patients as quickly as possible. Um, and it's really been proven um, to be a scientifically sound and reliable and effective pathway. So we wanna see that be preserved. Um, and then, you know, another provision that was included in, in the user fee that we were supportive of was the HEART Act, um, which would ensure that there is um, expert key rare disease expertise being included um, in the FDA clinical trial process. Um, Not sure if that is going to end up being included or not, um, but the coalition is supportive of, um, at the very least, there being a provision that moves forward, whereby the FDA at least takes a look at where they currently have um, rare disease expertise within review divisions, so we can identify if there are any gaps and at least be able to fill those and make sure we're bringing in the right experts. Um, You know, I think we're, Review divisions have rare disease experts brought in today. Things are working really well, um, but it's really inconsistent. Every company um, has a slightly different experience when they work with FDA, and it's important for that to be more consistent for companies to know um, what to expect and not to have to have radically different experiences based on what uh, review division they're in. And that goes back to increasing certainty will help with, Um, increasing investment. So we would like FDA to really look at their process of how they bring in rare disease experts um, today and be able to see if there are ways we can at least incrementally improve that.
0: We've also seen a continuing effort to cut back the Orphan Drug Act. Some of the benefits under the previous administration saw that cut and it was once again a target of proposed legislation this year that would have further cut the incentives it provides. Do you expect this to be an ongoing fight? And is there concern about whether Congress will continue to chip away at the act?
1: Yeah, there is certainly concern about that. Um, The coalition was um, vehemently opposed to that provision earlier this year that would have limited um, the use of orphan drug tax credit down to the first indication. And I think it's good timing for you to ask that question because we're coming up in January on the 40th anniversary of the Orphan Drug Act. um, And it really is impressive to see how many more orphan drugs or rare disease drugs were able to come to market um, before versus after the ODA was passed almost 40 years ago. Um, And I think everyone agrees, you know, it's really been an effective policy Um, But as we reach that milestone, I think it's really important um, for policymakers to realize that we still have a a long way to go. We still have 90% of rare disease patients without any treatment at all. And so we should all be aligned and working together on finding more ways to incentivize um, or make possible drug development for for rare disease companies um, instead of chipping away at that slowly. Um, You know, when the Orphan Drug Act was created, the orphan drug tax credit was at 50%. And it's slowly been chipped away at, um, now it's down to 25%. And then, like you said, it was being proposed to be limited further. Um, But we agree, and I know our our partners um, in the patient advocacy space agree, we should be increasing and um, further incentivizing companies, not disincentivizing them. And it just speaks to, again, the unintended consequences You know, it might look like an easy line item to cut as a, you know, a policy pay for to pay for other policy measures. Um, But that has an unintended consequence of impacting companies' pipelines and ultimately patients being able to get access to treatment. So we want to see Congress increase and not, um, not decrease or further limit incentives.
0: You touched on the Inflation Reduction Act a moment ago. This has been a, a target of industry criticism. Al Nylam has said it was suspending development of a therapy for a rare eye disorder to evaluate the impact of the legislation. The act has a provision that exempts price-setting negotiations on rare disease drugs that treat a single condition. What's the concern here?
1: Our concern is pretty similar to the concern we had around the orphan drug tax credit, which is again the unintended consequences. Um, so, having these precedent-setting, you know, large policies that allow, um, you know, the federal government to negotiate drug pricing has a ripple effect on the, the pharmaceutical industry, which has an impact on rare disease um, companies and their investors. And. You know, we did see consideration for um, for an exemption for orphan drugs, but the exemption was um, still a little bit narrow. And again, these companies need more consideration, more incentives, um, not less. And so, you know, a concern we have is it's very common for rare disease treatments to be used in more than one indication or more than one disease state. Um, that's very, very common. I think the majority of, um, of orphan drugs are used for multiple conditions. And so saying that you can only be exempted from negotiation if your um, drug only treats one condition is not does not match the reality and the science of what companies are doing today. And so again, we want to see um, these companies really be given the special consideration that they need, and we don't think that this exemption goes far enough.
0: Rare disease therapies have long been given a somewhat privileged place with regard to pricing by payers and health technology assessment bodies. While there are a wide range of concerns for the Rare Disease Company Coalition, much of what it seems concerned about centers on issues related to pricing and drug economics and how value is determined. How big a concern is the pricing landscape and the ability of rare disease drug developers to continue to have a viable economic model, particularly as the industry appears to be moving toward genetic medicines that are targets, smaller populations with more expensive therapies?
1: Again, I think the problem that we see with some of these value assessment frameworks or these broader models is they're not accounting for or differentiating rare diseases within the, that model. It, it continues to be kind of a one-size-fits-all approach. We think it's really important, whether it's, you know, the federal level or the state level, for anyone who is um, looking at using these type of models to consider, um, again, why rare disease drug development is different, what those unique considerations are, and at the very least, um, engage with the right experts, engage with the right stakeholders and industry to understand that and make sure that that's factored into that model or that decision-making process.
0: We've seen both ICER and NICE try to wrestle with how to treat both rare disease and ultra-rare diseases differently than more general population conditions. Where have you seen a one-size-fits-all approach?
1: I think our concern would be approaches like value assessment frameworks that really look at orphan drugs in the same way that they look at all drugs and don't take into consideration, um, A, you know, again, these outsized challenges and costs in drug development, and then B, the societal benefit provided by um, bringing orphan drugs to market. Um, So that's, you know, what we talk about when we say one size fits all, um, those unique considerations of rare disease drug development Um, are really not considered in those broader policies. And so, again, anything that these bodies can do to kind of bring in um, rare disease experts or key stakeholders um, to understand, again, why orphan drug um, development is different and the benefits that it really brings um, would be beneficial. We see just kind of these blanket frameworks being used that really don't address the unique nature and um, challenges of bringing these therapies to market.
0: We've been through an election season. The Democrats held on to its majority in the Senate, but the Republicans have taken control of the House with a slight majority. How difficult a policy environment do you expect in the next two years?
1: It's always difficult when you're looking at gridlock in Congress. um, And that's certainly a a concern we have because we do want to see proactive policy measures go forward. Um, But I think we're somewhat optimistic because if you look at the work that's been done in Congress to date on in the rare disease policy space, most of it is bipartisan. Um, For example, um, if you look at a bill from this last Congress called the Benefit Act, um, that was a bipartisan bill from Representatives Wenstrup and Matsui that um, We saw come together and there's really a lot of collaboration um, across the rare disease caucus. We see, you know, Democrats and Republicans really working across the aisle um, on rare disease policy issues. And so we really are remaining um, optimistic and hopeful that that bipartisan work will continue. One fortunate aspect of working in rare disease policy is that um, both Democrats and Republicans really agree on the need to get more treatments to rare disease patients. um, There's a lot of consensus about that. Um, And so we really think in this next Congress, there will be um, areas for Democrats and Republicans to work together on things like um, advancing diagnosis, cures, um, supporting patient access. Um, I mentioned, you know, about 50% of rare disease patients are children. I think everyone can agree no matter their ideology that, we need to support getting treatments to children suffering from rare diseases as quickly as possible. What are the
0: top policy priorities from the coalition in the year ahead? And have those changed at all as a result of the election?
1: You know, I don't think our priorities have changed materially because, like I said, so much more work needs to be done um, really to try to reduce the number of um, people living today with a rare disease without any treatment options available to them. Um, we've, we've got a lot of work cut out for us and we're willing to work with anyone um, in Congress or in the administration that wants to support those efforts. Um, so our focus areas really continue to be the same um, for next year and you know that's really continuing to find ways to protect and strengthen um, incentives and considerations for rare disease drug development Um, protecting the Orphan Drug Tax Credit remains a a priority for us. Um, And there is a bill that we um, hope and will work to help get reintroduced called Cameron's Law um, that would uh, increase the Orphan Drug Tax Credit back to its original 50%. Um, We'll really be working um, in any ways we can get additional um, incentives for rare disease drug development. Um, And then, you know, really, like we've talked about, we're going to be working to ensure that the rare disease perspective is considered in any future broader drug pricing policies that come forward. We want to make sure policymakers do realize um, the consequences that their legislation might have on rare disease patients and can make those considerations wherever possible. Um, And then lastly, you know, really there's a gap in knowledge that exists today um, on a lot of these issues. And so we'll continue to focus a lot of our efforts on um, educating policymakers and their staff and really working with them to um, help tell the story, um, both from the company and the innovation perspective and from the patient perspective.
0: One thing I, I find striking about the Rare Disease Company Coalition webpage is the absence of patients which are ubiquitous on the rare disease drug company websites. It's particularly striking because of the power that patient stories can have on winning the minds and hearts of policymakers. The organization's name itself suggests this is an industry organization, but why is that? And does the coalition seek to engage patient organizations in its policy efforts?
1: Well, on our website, um, you'll see that our mission is to really make a better life for people living with rare disease. So that is at the heart of everything we do. Um, The way that we bring in the patient perspective is by elevating what our companies are doing. Um, So if you look at our website, all of our companies um, that are members are listed there and our social media amplifies the work our companies are doing. Um, And, you know, if you go to their websites, they are incredibly patient focused and the patient story is at the heart of everything they do. Um, And we do also work um, closely with patient groups to help amplify their story as well. Um, You know, it's important from our perspective to partner the industry perspective with the patient perspective and find um, ways that we can work together and share each other's stories. And so that's our role is really to to elevate, um, you know what our companies are doing in membership and what uh, the patient groups are doing.
0: Amanda Malikoff, Executive Director of the Rare Disease Company Coalition. Amanda, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Thanks, Danny. Really appreciate the conversation.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org.